Let's do this. Live, live, live. Hello, hello, hello. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. Live on LinkedIn once again and on YouTube once again. Dustin, how are we today? Doing great. Looking forward to the weekend for sure. It's been a, it's been a good week, but it's going to be a great weekend. How about you, Ken? Yes, it's been a, it's been a mad week this week. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, maybe it's a nice tin of IPA coming my way after this, I think. Uh, yeah, so there we go. And welcome, everybody, joining us. Uh, thank you for joining us as well. This, this episode of, of uh, VUX World is brought to you by Project Catalyst over here. Uh, a lot of you might be familiar with Voice First FM, the, the, the podcast network, and, and Score Publishing, Bradley Metrox company that have been running Project Voice, the conference, for three years. Is it three years, Dustin? Four years? I think you went to the first one, didn't you? I went to the second one. So it's been three so far, I believe. Three years, and uh, I went this year, first time ever in America. It was absolutely epic, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's a really really good event. And and Bradley, over the course of doing this event, has obviously got in touch and and, and met a whole host of really interesting companies. And Project Voice Catalyst is essentially mm-hmm. a way for people working in and around the voice industry, the voice AI industry, if you're looking to meet companies, either clients or suppliers or any any company that has voice capability or that needs voice capability. If you could be an agency or a, a, a brand that requires voice uh, capabilities, reach out to uh, to Bradley Metro at Score Publishing because that's the service that they're offering essentially. Him and his team uh, will essentially almost act as business development advisors and you know set up introductions between you and these brands or agencies uh, to, to help you kind of you know really take your voice strategy to the next level so check out uh, Project Voice Catalyst if you're if you're keen to get involved then you can email ray at scorepublishing.us that's r-a-y at scorepublishing.us thank you Project Voice Catalyst for sponsoring this episode of VUX World and uh, this is going to be a belting episode of VUX World because we're going to be talking about something that's quite kind of near and dear to my heart, which is voice to being used to help streamline workflows in the workplace, Dustin. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. And it's, it's, in, a, it's in a workplace that many people may not think of or may not have experience with. So it's going to be interesting to hear how voice exactly works into this domain. And our guest today is Dan D'Almeida of Lab Voice. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. Absolutely welcome. So you are the Director of Product Management at Lab Voice. Do you want to tell us a little bit uh, initially, first of all, about what Lab Voice does? Sure, absolutely. So Lab Voice is a voice assistant for scientists. Um, and so we have a platform that enables people to voice guide their workflows. You know, just like you're saying, they're in the workplace, they're in a laboratory, and we allow them to use a voice assistant that we've developed um, to really help them along the way in their challenges. Cool. Nice. And and how old's the company? It's, it, I, and what stage are you at? Yeah, so the company is was founded about two years ago. Um, so it is based down in RTP, North Carolina, which is near Raleigh. Uh, I myself in the Massachusetts um, and we are privately invested in uh, so a small group, but we're working with uh, customers. We have some active customers that are using the technology and actually at a point of expanding into newer areas as they're seeing the benefits. Cool. And how did you kind of get into this then? Have you been a, a kind of a long time voice fan? Is it something that kind of just landed on your plate, so to speak? Like how did your, how did you get involved with lab voice and, and what did you do kind of prior? Yeah. Um, I originally many years ago, was, uh, uh, so I'm a scientist by training. I was actually a chemist in a laboratory. Uh, that's going back quite a while. Uh, I fell more in love with the technology in laboratories than I did with the actual chemistry. And uh, I started working with the hardware. So first with the equipment and kind of learning how to install and, and repair things there. And then I started working for instrument manufacturers. Um, out of there, I went back into laboratories to work with technology in the laboratories. So specifically, uh, some of my customers wanted me to work with them. Where I fell into the information technology groups. 
you know, it's pretty standard. I'm a scientist. I don't really have a computer science degree. So I fell into IT as a placeholder. Um, there I, I learned to code a little bit. You get a little bit more involved in technology. And then I was hired into the software industry. Um, so I've been in software for about 14, 15 years now, um, working with scientists and deploying technology in there. A lot of laboratories have a project called Lab of the Future, where they look into consumer technologies to see how they can improve their um, processes. You know, just anything from AR, VR, voice, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, so for many years, I've been, uh, so I'm a tech addict. <laughs> so for many years, to me, I've always kind of just grabbed whatever's out there and said, hey, can we use this? Can we use this? Um, and then when Lab Voice was founded, the founders reached out to me with some colleagues that I used to work with and said, hey, are you interested in, in voice? And it wasn't really my passion. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of Amazon technology at home, but it, it wasn't one of those things. But as I started thinking more and more about it, I was like, yeah, this, this sounds great. It's, you know, it's a good time for us to get into this process. You speak about kind of voice dusting, don't we, in terms of the um, the benefits of it for, you know, workers and things like that. But examples so far have been kind of a little bit few and far between, haven't they, really? Yeah, or or at least maybe ones that we don't talk about all that much. Uh, it's certainly taken hold in the popular imagination, but we do see more more examples like this where it's coming through. Isn't that right? Mm, yeah, and and I think that I know the Mayo Clinic have been doing some kind of pretty mm. interesting stuff. But um, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to f see voice technologies finding a space where I mean we talk. I mean it's fantastic for education and for entertainment when you talk about smart speakers and stuff. But I like seeing it getting put to some practical use, and and mm. this seems a little bit like it's definitely along those kind of lines. Dan, do you want to give us a bit of a maybe as a high level overview of what the solution does in practice? Absolutely. Um, so originally, as we started talking to people, we didn't have a product, but mm. the five second pitch was it's Alexa for the lab, right? It's the easiest way to ex explain it. People get it. They're like, oh, I know what that is um, because everybody has some knowledge of the Alexis, but it's, it's a lot more than that. It's, it's really a voice assistant. Um, that being said, we do have our own smart speaker. So it's about the size of an Echo Dot. Um, and we went down the path of making our own technology for privacy and security. Um, because there's lots of concerns about intellectual property in laboratories, we didn't want the the consumer technology to be a barrier into there. Mm. Can so, I just could, just briefly, Dan, just hold that up again. I'll put you on full absolutely. screen just so we can see how they look at it. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. Cool. Um, so it's about so, the size of a dot. And that mm -hmm. little button on top is that is that the mute button or the wake button or? That's the mute button. Yep. Okay. There's one button on it. Everything else is voice activated. Uh, there's a couple of USB ports that allow us to connect to something like a barcode scanner, which is very common in laboratories. Mm. Nice. And then there's a network port for performance if your Wi-Fi is not fantastic. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, so, it hooks up, so it can hook up to physical scanners and, and that does... How, well, we'll get onto that, actually. Carry on, carry on, carry on the story in terms of how it, how it kind of came about. So you were promising, so, promising people Alexa for the lab um, before you actually had the product working. Right? right. And I, uh, yes, absolutely. And it was, it was easy for them to understand. As we started talking to more people, it's Alexa for the lab is such a short way to do it because Alexa is very atomic in prompts and responses. Play music. What time is it? There's skills out there that are getting more evolved, but what a scientist, they don't, they don't want to just ask what time is it and we can't play music from our device. So uh, that's one of the security features there. What we've learned is people want more of a process guided situation. So in laboratories, they tend to already have their processes written down, depending on what space you're in. And they follow these step by step. It's like a recipe in your kitchen. So if you imagine a, a recipe, it's actually the same way they make drug products. Um, they call them recipes in some locations. They call them methods. They call them SOPs, standard operating procedures. And as we started talking through that with the customers, they realized that they wanted something that what, what's, what's next step? Just like you would in your kitchen. What do I need to do next? And so we started evolving that. But it's not just about reading it. It's also about talking back. So we'd switch the prompts to be not just statements, but questions and guide them through that. Hey, collect this value from the balance. Okay. And say, collect when you're ready. Collect. And so we'd go out and get the value, come back and prop them to the next step and kind of walk through that. So it's, it's truly an assistant in the sense of working with you 
to complete your workflows. Okay. It sounds as though the, the if you can, um, if it says, say, continue when you're ready, does it kind of like leave the mic open for the session, so to speak, so that you can just talk to it? Or does it require like a wake word to say, hey, scientist assistant, do something for me? <laughs> how, does, how, does it, how, does it, how do you actually use it? Yeah, so, um, so along with the, the, so just to get a little further along with the smart speaker, we also have a mobile app, um, which can give you either the button for that continue, or you could use the wake word. Uh, our wake word is Hey Lab Voice. Hmm. And so you say Hey Lab Voice, it triggers it, it listens to whatever your invocation is, and then you go along your process. If you got to a point where you're going to weigh something, um, just to use that example, you know, it's, it's not a continuous process. So you want to, you know, go actually go out and weigh it, put it on a balance, and then come back and say, hey, lab voice, continue. It'll prompt you what the next step is. Do you want me to collect from the weight now? Yes, and it collects the value and then moves on from there. Okay. And what would, what would an example of, of like the kind of things that these kind of lab workers would be doing? Like, because for some for people who are not kind of connected to that process, who don't work in the lab, what is the kind of things that they're doing? Are they testing things? Are they kind of like, uh, you know, what what is it that they're actually doing? What is the kind of process and of what they're doing look like? Yeah. So the the, the today process is um, it's, it's it's interesting. There's actually a lot of paper in laboratories, so they're not even on electronic systems for the most part. Um, there are electronic systems there. But getting that technology into laboratories is often hard because now you need a place to put a computer or keyboard or even mobile and you're touching it with gloves. So that's where voice fits in nicely. Um, the, an example of a process is, um, this is probably my favorite one. There, there's a process that one of the scientists goes through and they're sitting in an office and they go into their electronic laboratory notebook, but it's in their office and they fill out this information of what they want to weigh out. And part of that process is they say how much each amount is, 10 grams, 15 grams, 20 grams. And is this, sorry, is, is this weighing things out to create some kind of drug of some description or something like that? Yep, absolutely. So you can do uh, either a drug product or if you're doing more product development, you're just doing some research to look for new testing. Um, okay. I've, got a, a, I've got a good friend of mine who actually, he's a material scientist who figures out new hmm. um, chemicals for golf balls, you know, <laughs> new materials for golf balls. And wow. um, so, you know, these guys are kind of doing all sorts of different things. So it could be any type of chemical reaction. It could be a drug product. It could be consumer goods. So, you know, things that you don't, you're not even thinking about that they make hmm. in laboratories. Hmm. Uh, this kind of applies generally. Agricultural um, hmm. is very similar. But if the your, process friend, if your friend can find me a, a way of always finding the golf ball that goes into the bush, which happens every second shot for me, then uh, I'd pay over the over the top of the uh, market price for that, without a doubt. So, right. so going going back to uh, going back to the situation. So they're in the lab. They've got their electronic notebook. They need to understand how much of which things they need to weigh out to then to then right. what. Yeah. So they actually start in the office. That's the funny thing. They're not even in the lab yet. They're filling out all this detail. They go to the lab and then they pick up you know, a bottle, this is my fake reagent, but you pick yeah. up a bottle and then they, they have to get it from a cabinet. Then they walk about 15, 20 feet away from where they got that and they go and weigh it. But along the way, they don't have a computer anywhere. <laughs> they actually have to remember or write down on a piece of paper how much they were supposed to weigh up that. They go to, that, they go to the balance, they weigh out that value. Now they have to write down on a piece of paper or actually on the back of their glove, which a lot of people do, <laughs> the, the value that they collected they go back to a terminal that's in the laboratory that's connected to their system. And now they type in the values and they do this n number of times that they're in the lab. So you can imagine. So now I've, I've gone from my office to a cabinet to get the reagent. I write down on a piece of paper, what I'm expected to get. I had to visually look at this to know what it was that I grabbed the right thing. That's error prone. I went and weighed. Now I've gone to a completely different location. I had to stop what I was doing to write down what I wanted and now you go back and you're typing back in. There's so many different failure points there. Mm. What we've done is actually, we've actually simplified that a lot more for them. They're still in the office. They still prepare everything. That's okay. There's no need to change that. We're not looking to change where it doesn't fit. But as they go into the laboratory, all they do is they go to a cabinet. They pick up their bottle. They go to where they're going to go weigh it. They scan it. We look up all the information about it. Is that the right thing they're looking for? 
Yes. We tell them how much to weigh. They put it on the balance. They say weigh, we collect the value from the balance. And then we push that all the way back to their office notebook. They didn't have to type in anything. They didn't have to write anything down. It's just all verbal commands and it's all there. They also get safety information along the way too. As we've looked it up, we can tell them, is it caustic? Is it hazardous to them? How they should handle it um, to give them that extra benefit. And these are all things that enhance their process along the way. Interesting. So some of the issues then that they were facing initially is that there is, you mentioned error prone steps quite often. So human human kind of involvement on a scale of conducting hundreds of experiments or multiplied by X number of staff conducting hundreds of experiments, then the risk of human error is obviously greater. Then there's the time it takes presumably to kind of go and get the sample, then go and wait and then come back and type everything back up. And then also, so there's the elapsed time, but there's also the, the time spent doing unproductive stuff, isn't it? The time you're typing yeah. into a computer isn't time that you're spending weighing stuff and actually doing the experiments. So are those the three core problems that it solves or, or was there any other things that you found through doing the initial research that, that you've kind of tried to, to tackle? It's productivity and efficiency. It's safety concerns. You know, those are, those are the big ones and, and data integrity, you know, so I didn't have to type anything in. I didn't have to write it down. I didn't have to, I didn't transcribe numbers when I was writing to type in. Um, so all of those things are huge concerns by the regulatory committees that, that track this information in different spaces, right? Agricultural, uh, pharmaceutical, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, they all have their own thou shalt must, you know, do this uh, along the way. And one of the things that they always want to do is make sure that the data is accurate 100%. And then there's always that trickle down effect later. If you're doing everything in paper, imagine the scientist didn't have that electronic notebook and you're literally doing paper notebooks. Now you have to look up everything later. And how do you look that up? Well, you go to a file cabinet somewhere and you, you kind of just do the old fashioned, you know, sorting through a file cabinet. Mm. Interesting. And so was it, was it the case that you were kind of like shadowing people and things like that when you were going through the process of creating this? And was that done like with a trial company or how did you go about kind of exploring that problem and then, and then defining what the solution needs to be? Is it bespoke for a company or did you approach it more generally? Um, so how we found it was we've been in the industry for a while mm. and I, so I've actually been part of a team that was going from paper to electronic. And so, you know, the founders as well, they've came from a different space, but the same situation in laboratories where they were trying to go from paper to electronic cloud-based software. And as we saw it, the transition from paper to electronic, again, the space in the lab, the priority is, is the chemistry and the science. It's not the IT infrastructure. So the challenge is always getting that in there. As mobile came along, it made sense because now you're carrying something around, but now you have the touch screen. You're, you have gloves, you have cross-contamination. It doesn't work as well. So when we took all of that and we started talking to folks and saying, hey, would this fit, fit for you? Um, we did start with one company, you know, and we said, hey, we've got an idea and we'd love to test it out with you. We've been playing around with it for a while. And they're a very forward-thinking company. And so... They're like, yeah, sure, we want to do this. We want to do the lab of the future today. We don't want to wait for the future all the time. So they, they took some cases they had. We, we followed them around and said, what do you do? We wrote it down. And, you know, the first time around, it, everything's hard. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're doing. You try to figure it out. It takes a little while. Um, so that, that one took us a little while. But, you know, once we figured out the process of how to create it, our platform actually allows us to make these very quickly. So I can meet with someone and in a week, turn around their process. And, and it doesn't even take a week. It takes me a couple, few hours, but just to flesh out anything. So we go through that process with them. What is your process? We'll talk to them. We'll, we'll go through it and document it. This is what we see as a conversation for you. And they'll go back and forth a couple of times, and then we'll try it out. And then you go through those iterations of trying it with the scientists. Because often people say something, but they don't realize that they're doing something differently. So you, you really have to watch them do it a couple of times um, to say, oh yeah, by the way, here's where I do X, Y, Z. And you go through that with them a couple of times. Mm. That's interesting. So, so when you say it's a platform, is, is there like a, a sort of a back end to it or is it, is the whole concept of it is that essentially you set it up and then once it's set up, 
the lab technicians never need to do anything else other than talk to it and then access the, the system that they've always used anyway. Yeah, so our goal as a platform is to be an integration point where there are gaps. So we know that a lot of people have software and instrumentation in the lab. They're not going to buy new stuff because new technology is coming out there. So we've actually built our technology to be very compatible with what's out there. We integrate very well. Um, there's different software called LIMS and ELNs and, um, you know, different CDS systems. I know these are all technical terms, but, um, and then there's balances, pH meters and larger pieces of equipment. And all of these things can be integrated into the system. The platform is really around the user experience being able to use voice in the laboratory and streamline their process. We've made it internally easier for us to develop these workflows for them in this streamlined process. The interesting thing about the integration points is some of these systems already have their processes documented. So you see all those steps. Originally there were documents and these evolved into different technologies, but we can look into those, get that text back to you and then put a prompt that makes it a little bit more friendly to respond to you because those are written like recipes, which, you know, step one, prepare the oven. Well, there's no natural prop there, you know, and it's, it's more of a question like, is the oven temperature set, you know, or what is the oven temperature you want to set? You, you, you kind of work through them to really educate them on how to make it more of a guided assistant than just a recipe that you read. And so with, you were talking about balances, you were talking about scanners earlier and the integrations there. How are you integrating that? How does that work? Because uh, obviously these are a physical mechanism and you're uh, combining with a voice platform of sorts. How does that work in a, an example workflow? Yeah, the, the, the barcode scanners are really simple. You just plug it into the USB port. It's just like a keyboard um, in the end. So it, it works the same way. So in an example workflow, they would track the sample ID, right? Or the, the reagent, you know, we were talking about that one process. And so what they do is they'll actually go in and say, you know, hey, lab voice, start weighing. And it'll ask, okay, so what's the sample ID? Take your barcode scanner, you scan the bottle. And then we record that information in our system. And we actually can display it on the mobile app so they can identify that it's the right thing that we scanned. We don't have to say everything. It's very verbose if you start talking every piece of information. But if you display it, they can do a quick reference to it and come back. The balances are uh, a different situation. <laughs> you don't often get a USB balance. Um, so we'll network those. We actually put them on their network. We, we give it an IP and a port. Um, and this is technology that's been out there. There's vendors that do this for them uh, as well outside of us. So you can, if you have one of those vendors, we'll just work with their software and just extract the information. It's very collaborative through APIs out there with how software is being built these days. They, they want the collaboration. They don't want the all for one tool that's locked in and no one can use anything. Um, and we know a lot of those uh, systems. We're also trying to build up a partner program so that we can collaborate even more and identify to the users, hey, we already integrate with the software or this instrument vendor. Um, and that way it's, it's much easier and less of an activation energy to get started. Presumably there's probably only, it's, it seems as though it's one of the industries where there's probably only like a handful of main software suppliers is there and hardware manufacturers and stuff. They grow every year. <laughs> the 30s. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's some big ones out there, but there, there are a lot when you start looking at it and every year technology changes. So there's going to mm. be a new company that wants to use the new technology, um, mm. you know, a coding language or style. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Dustin, it's almost like, um, you know, we talk a lot about the kind of convergence of technologies, don't we? And how, mm -hmm. you know, voice working with other technologies is is kind of where things are at. And this is an, is an example of voice, which is a kind of relatively new technology, but then also plumbing into the existing infrastructure to almost kind of like blend the old with the new to, to make voice. It's it's not like it is, it's the, the primary input, but also you've got the screen, you've got, you know, the scanners. It's like, it's just one of those good examples of how the kind of voice is kind of maturing as a technology, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And you were talking about the existing technologies, Kane. And, and Dan, you were talking a little bit about, you know, one of the labs wanted to, 
we're tired of waiting for the lab for the future we want it now. Uh, in general, we think about labs as sort of a forward facing and technologically facing one, but also at the same time you mentioned uh, people have their ways of working as well. Do you find generally that labs are generally, yep, let's do it, let's absolutely, or is there a little bit of education that you have to do in there too? There's a little bit of education. Um, There are, the the reason why they haven't moved off of paper, you know, like I said, a lot of people using paper or spreadsheets, the process works for them. And for them to change the process, it costs the business a lot of money. Um, And that's because they have to go through many levels of, Let's, let's validate that it works properly. You know, we know that this works. We're getting, you know, this profit margin. We're getting this much efficiency out of it. So how do we measure that efficiency gain and the profit margin? And that costs money to get started. Um, so they have to put in the project in place. And it's a change, right? Any, anything, anything new is going to slow you down a little bit at the beginning, you know, as you're learning. Um, but we had, you know, one of our early customers, one of their processes is they're, they're actually moving samples around. What they did was they had two people, one person reading off this list of samples and the other person putting it in boxes. You know, it was just like a shuffle game. They took away that one person that was reading and literally just had our system just read out, okay, wait, where does this go? A1 to B5, you know, it's like bingo. They, they're actually faster now with one person than they had the two people. It, t- it took a little ramp up, but then they, they keep getting faster and faster. And we had a pause in between each one. And they said, hey, can we take the pause away? We've actually gotten faster than the pause situation. So just keep reading until I say stop. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, again, it's, it's the willingness. It's not just the technology, it's the willingness of the, the other, the customers to take on that. Um, because to get proper feedback, we need them to put the time in and try it out. Not just say, yeah, it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's it's it is typical change management, isn't it? It's like, you know, I've worked on countless projects in the past where you know the senior management have brought you know people into to work on a project to achieve a very specific uh, goal, but actually the success of it relies on the people who are actually doing the job, and you know some some people you you always you want to find those evangelists that you can use to be the champion of it and and kind of like bring everyone else on board, but you do get people who are quite happy how they are, you know, I'm quite happy filling out this little book. I'm quite happy with this Excel spreadsheet, you know, quite happy responding to emails all day. I don't have a problem with me. So, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, it's that typical sort of, you know, change. Some people don't like change, you know, and it seems as though you've kind of gone through that process um, and, and kind of worked with people to, to kind of bring them on board. And this is, this is applying to anyone who who is going to thinking about using voice for their kind of internal workflows and things like that. Um, is that's kind of the thing that you're going to have to go through. Have you kind of, do you have any stories like that? Do you have any kind of advice that you can give people who are looking, maybe even if they're working in an internal team, they have an idea that, that they might be able to use voice technology to streamline or, or improve their existing processes or for other teams that are working with, uh, you know, with, with teams trying to, trying to make this kind of stuff happen. Any, any kind of advice or learnings that you had from going through that process uh, of, of learning and implementing this kind of technology in a, in a working environment? Uh, voice specifically, um, you know, don't, I guess, don't get disheartened where it is today. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I, I've heard some requests from meetings saying it has to be hundred percent accurate. It's not going to work or we're not going to do it. And that there's nothing that's hundred percent accurate. You can type on a keyboard and have a mistype, you know, so don't be discouraged by, uh, uh this, the, the, you know, it's not hundred percent accurate. If we've watched the trends five years ago, it, it was even worse, you know, but the technology is just evolving at such a rapid rate. And the more people that commit to using it, the better and faster it's going to get there to where you want it. You know, you're, you're seeing these companies pop up left and right and they're working in little areas. You know, some people are just working on the natural language understanding and processing. Some people are working on the design and some people are working on specific applications. And as all these people share their information, it's going to grow faster, but you have to, you have to commit the time, you know, and, and be willing to share and, and talk, you know, it's, this isn't, this isn't lab voice just started and we did, you know, we just stayed in a bubble. We're talking to people, you know, we, we've talked to different people in the voice industry. We've talked to people in the scientific industry on both sides to really learn where should we go. We've, we've talked to some failed companies, you know, they, they started 
uh, on down a, a path and then Alexis came along and completely disrupted their, their product line. But we're listening to their stories to make sure that we understand what can we do better? What can we learn from there? And, and that's, that's the biggest thing is, is really just look at the landscape and get as much information as you can to help you along your journey. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. It's, um, you didn't speak to Jibo by any chance. I'm just no. thinking of, I'm trying to think, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, uh, some of the examples of, of companies who've, who've kind of tried and failed, but you're right. It's, 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 it's the, it's a blossoming kind of ecosystem and, you know, it takes a, a whole load of specialists working on those very specific problems, uh, that you can then kind of put back together to assemble something that is, uh, that is, you know, really, really kind of good. And I think that, yeah, you know, definitely on the side, on the workflow side, using this technology to improve workflows, I think is, is a hundred percent, um, a, a fantastic kind of idea. And as we said, we've kind of seen few examples here and there, you know, but I think this is a, a good example of a real practical, not practical use case, first of all, a fairly narrow kind of scope you know they're not, they're not going to ask you for the weather because that's not what they're doing they're doing a, a specific task and so did that help in terms of the the sort of design process in terms of it being a, a fairly constrained task or was there any other things that were either helpful or a hindrance when it comes to designing the actual interactions and things like that it actually um hurt us a little bit at the beginning <laughs> because when you get a system like uh, an alexa or a siri and you can say hey tell me a joke or you can say, um, you know, what's the weather or, you know, what's my calendar like? Then people instantly think, oh, I can just try that. And it's like, well, that's not really what the purpose is. Well, what can I do with it? You know, then, then you kind of have to go through that evolution of like, well, it's, it's, it's not meant for that. You could just put an echo dot in your lab if you really want that type of information, play music, et cetera. Um, this is to help the work. So we do have some, you know, smaller features. You can set a timer. You can set a reminder. You can take a voice note, which is very freeform. You know, it's, it's a thing that a lot of people want. So we'll record that audio and we'll transcribe it and send that to you or put it in your uh, systems that you want. Um, but it's, you know, it's not that full range. We'll get there. You know, we'll probably put in the joke stuff. You know, people are always asking or, or, the, or the silly personality, what's your favorite color, you know. Um, but it, it's, I don't want people to be discouraged by the fact that you can't do that. You know, you can't. Mm. It's, it's not, it's not meant for that. It's purpose driven. Um, and, and that's where we want to stay. And as we flush the purpose out and get those processes in, it'll be easier for us to make more processes, um, along the way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how, um, even though I always say this, that, that voice technology and, and the use cases are kind of maturing, um, but still people, Dustin, people still just want to ask it to fart and still want to know what it's doing. Right. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, fun. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. I wonder whether that'll, that'll ever kind of wear off people's kind of novelty of things talking to them. Or do you think that we'll always be asking uh, for, for those kind of things? Uh, yeah. That, that was a question to anyone who will answer. <laughs> yeah, <probably. laughs> Dan, what do you think? <laughs> Uh, I think it's oh, the entertainment value and getting someone to laugh is always going to be there and people are always going to want to ask those silly things. They want to push the technology, right? The AI part of the world. So they always want to see how natural it would be. And maybe it's just, we, we give it an awkward, awkward response, you know, along the way and not really answer their question, um, which would be a different way of mm. taking the AI. <laughs> I'll just say, you shouldn't be asking this kind of stuff. You've got work to do now. It should be 25 <laughs> exactly. grams of hydrochloride acid or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you've mentioned security a few times. You've mentioned integration with systems a couple of times. So that's obviously stuff that, um, you know, IT teams in these uh, organizations are going to be, you know, quizzing you about. And so I wonder if you can explain a little bit about some of the kind of the security measures that, that are in place like is, is the text-to-speech kind of and all that kind of stuff running on devices or internet connection like what kind of measures have you took to to make it more secure and, and ready for the for the lab environment yeah so um the first thing is we're cloud-based software you know so our technology is hosted out there uh, the hardware device again as i was saying is built by us so that we can control that security 
Um, we know that there's been projects where people have taken Alexas, put them directly in laboratories. They've, they've done experiments with that to see how well it would work. But then there's always those, you know, you hear the news articles of, oh, it's always listening, it's recording, people are transcribing, and they don't want any of that. So our system only listens for trigger. And if it's not triggered, then it doesn't record anything. We also have enrollment. So we know who's speaking. Um, when you enroll into the system, we ask you to say the trigger word four times. And then from that point on, it recognizes that I'm Dan, that you're Kane, that you're Dustin, you know, and it can actually speak, you know, part of the process that a lot of people ask is for us to speak back the name, like, hi, Kane, how are you doing, et cetera, and go on with your process so they can confirm that it recorded the right thing. If you're not enrolled, you can't trigger. It's just done. It won't even trigger for you. So that's one security measure. Um, a lot of it is, you know, our expertise in the area. One of the founders has been in the cloud space in scientific software for many, many years. Um, he was, you know, he was pushing cloud only when labs were saying, there's no way you're going to get anything off premise and be in the cloud. Um, and you're seeing a lot of change and shift there. So as we go through that, we'll, we talk to the IT teams and make sure that their privacy concerns are, um, any of the questions they have are answered and we can just move forward with that. Cool. Nice. Um, okay. That's, that's it. Was there any other kind of, um, Actually, maybe it's actually the device. I was going to say any other learners on the technical side, but I think the device itself is an interesting, uh, an interesting place to look at. So, because it's not often that I mean, we see lots of independent voice assistants that are running in you know apps and stuff like that, but it's not that often that you see kind of devices built. And so, how how did you get to the point of you know deciding first of all to that you need a device a separate device and not an interface in an app and then what was that kind of process like in terms of actually building something like i'm, I'm assuming that wasn't necessarily straightforward either <laughs> no um so the, the 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 idea of going with the device again the the alexa always listening thing was a driver um secondarily a voice first company right how do you do voice first will you take away any screens and how do you do that? You, you get just a speaker and a microphone and you listen to that. Um, and then there's processes in the labs that actually people can't look at a screen. Um, they're in a glove box. They literally are putting their arms in a box and they're, they have to pay attention to what they're doing there. So they don't have time to look away and look at a screen. In a microscope, those are natural places, right? You're in a microscope today. They look in the microscope. They, rec they figure out what they're recording. They move over here, they type it in, they go back to the microscope and they're doing this all day. It's terrible ergonomics. So the screen wasn't necessary. So why start with something as heavy as a mobile device on that? Um, so we went down through the process of creating that. Um, it's interesting. Hardware is a different world than creating software, right? So now you need someone who can design the spec of the case. You need to find some technology experts around the boards. You need to find some software experts. Um, and then acoustic experts, as you put the case and the board together to make sure that everything's listening, everything's, you know, all that noise canceling is, is going on, beam forming, all these considerations that have to be taken. Things that we take for granted when you pick up your phone, you're like, oh, it sounds so good when I pick up my phone or a headset. You know, th these companies have thought of it all and you have to go through that slowly and iteratively. Um, this is probably... I don't know, I'd say version 10 of our case. <laughs> so uh, in a two year time frame. but you know, it's, it's, it's the, the 3D printing technology out there is really helpful these days. You can, proto, you know, you can build out and sign your case. You can send it to a marketplace. You get the case a prototype, you try it out. Oh, that didn't work. Let's iterate and kind of go through that. And it's not a very high volume. I didn't have to order 10,000 of these from somewhere and then throw out cases. So, um, it's it's really helped where technology is today for us to build the hardware this way. Nice. And I was curious as well, I don't think we've addressed this one yet. So on a practical measure, the installation inside the lab, how many devices are there? How, like, are you spreading them out a certain amount of distance each way? Is it just a single device? What does that look like? It's case by case. It's however the, the company wants it. Um, we have some companies that, literally just want the case, the device, so that, mm. <coughs> excuse me, um, they just put it where they need it. Mm. We have some companies that are more fans of mobile, um, and so they'll do it that way. The, the, 
the audio is, I don't know, it's got a good 20 foot range, mm. but you're probably not going to get that in a laboratory. There's a lot of fan noise and background noise mm. that you have to take in consideration. You, and you don't want your scientists yelling 20 feet away anyway. <laughs> uh, it's probably distracting to everybody else. Um, so, you know, we, we go through the process of asking them, how does it work? You know, where are you situated? Again, there's some great places that it's a perfect fit. It's near this hood or this glove box, or this microscope. You just put it there. You're always going to do that same process there. Um, but more often than not, people kind of like the mobility. Um, and we have some quiet talkers. So they, they want a headset with a little boom mic and they can just whisper into it. And uh, mm. they, don't, they don't feel embarrassed that they're talking to a system. So uh, it's, it's really a balance out there. We suggest at least one per lab so that we can use that sort of as a, um, a measuring point of, okay, this lab is lab voice activated, if you will. And then people can kind of go in there if they need to, but everybody else can just have mobile devices and, and move around between the labs. So you're actually setting some people up with, with headsets or you're just telling them, no, just give it a try. Just talk to the device. Oh, no, we've set some people up with headsets. Yeah. yeah. So they, they have headsets similar to yours. Um, most of the time they have the one ear one hmm. so they can hear what's going on in the laboratory at the same time. And they have a boom mic and they just put them, their phone in their pocket. We have people who have bring your own device policies. Hmm. So literally it's their personal phone. We have some companies that are just buying off the shelf, non-activated phones. Hmm. And we'll just install our app on there and they use them as company phones around the laboratories. Um, and then they pick them up, they charge them at night, they come back into work, they put their headset on and walk around. It's, it's actually kind of cool to watch all these people with their headsets and uh, you know, they're doing the science and they're talking to it and they hear it in one year. Nice, cool. Yeah, I, I also need to ask as well, just because you have experience with this and I don't, are they all wearing white lab coats or is that like, <laughs> uh, like lab by lab basis? It's lab by lab basis. Uh, it can go white lab coats or you can go full body suits. Um, wow. You know, depending oh, that's cool. on the safety level of, yeah. And, you know, with the current situation going on right now, it's a lot more people are going to the, the more extreme safety levels. You know, you're, we're seeing that separation, uh, you know, further distancing between people in the labs. Um, things that were maybe one safety level are now increased to a different safety level for contamination purposes. Um, so they're all... They're all looking at different ways. You know, I, I was on a, a call yesterday where people are talking about ways to activate doors without touching them. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, hey, yeah. we have voice. Have you thought about voice? <laughs> yeah. Well, you potentially are in a position to kind of almost do that. You know what I mean? If you can find um, kind of like, you know, smart locks and, and like third party IoT technology that is built for to integrate with things anyway, because that's the whole point in it. You know, you don't want to tie yourself into Alexa. You want to have this thing able to be integrated with anything. So that could be a potential, couldn't it? For the lab voice to be not just there to like take your notes and help you be productive, but actually when you want to get out the room or get in the room or what have you, then yeah, that's quite a good idea. A process is a process and a command is command. We have a plethora of Wemo switches and Philip use light bulbs that we tested on prior to even yeah. having customers, you know, because they are IOT devices. That's as simple as it is. If you can connect to it, then um, we can command it. That's wicked. And when people go into the, the lab, because I've only just kind of clicked that you mentioned, you keep mentioning labs and different labs. And so people are going from different, from the office to different labs and wearing headsets potentially. So when they walk into a room, they just need to say, Hey, lab voice. And then their voice authenticates them to use the system, but also then authenticates them presumably on their back office system. So that when they start interacting with it, everything that they do is, is, going into the right place behind the scenes. Is that, is that how it works? Is it the authentication is your voice and then that also opens up the, the route back into the, the, back, the line of business system. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. So you don't even need to walk in the lab and log into anything. You just walk in and just start talking and that's it. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah. So when you're, you're ready to start your process, you just say, hey, lab voice, let's start running samples, whatever your invocation phrase is, right? We, we determine that case by case basis and, you just start your process and asks, you know, what's the project ID, for example, one, two, three, we take all that information and we'll send it back to you, to your office systems and you don't have to type anything anymore. 
That's cool. And what's what kind of feedback have you had then? What's the what's the general kind of sentiment? Is it like we are? I can imagine it's like if it was me, it's like a, a liberation almost. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't have to have any hassle. I can just walk in, do my job, and that's kind of it. Like is that what's the what's the general sentiment that, and the feedback and stuff that, you, that you've had so far? People are excited. Um, they're, they're really excited. You know, the, the one process that I shared, you know, it's saving them so much time. Just to point out the walking in and out of the labs, every time they have to go from the lab to the office, they have to glove up. They have to put their white lab coats on. They have to put safety glasses on. So every time they have to go back and record something, you know, we, we had one of the measurements. It's, it's saving them 20 minutes each time they're doing that. And if they're doing that several times a day, you can imagine how much time they're wasting just going back and forth to record information. Um, oh. You do it three times, and that's a whole hour of your day that you've just wasted walking around and putting gloves on. Mm. Um, and if we can keep them in the lab longer, recording the information, and we handle all that data transformation and, and sending it to their office systems, then that makes their lives easier. And scientists don't, they, they don't want to be data entry people. They want to be scientists, right? They want to be in the lab. They want to do exciting things. They, we want to use their expertise to solve problems in the world, not to type in information. Hmm. I once had a, um, I, I once had uh, working with a team where they were doing inspections. Um, so they'd have to leave the office, do an inspection, come back to the office, type it up. And I've come across cases where people have gone out drove 45 minutes to a, to a site, done an inspection, got back to the office, realized when they got to the back of the notepad that they'd forgot to take a certain measurement and had to get back in the car and go back to the site to do it again. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah, having some kind of technology that would enable you to make sure you get done what you're supposed to get done while you're there in the first place and then decrease that kind of turnaround time is you know, vital, isn't it? Yeah. Um, any, so we'll, we'll wrap up in, in, in shortly. And before we do, thank you everyone who's, who's tuning in. And I should have asked this earlier on, <laughs> but if you do have any questions for Dan, uh, any questions around using voice to automate workflows, anything like that, stick them in the chat and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to get around to them before we wrap up. Um, on, on kind of, the future, uh, you know, we've spoke about, you know, potentially, you know, IOT integrations, things like that, either in terms of where you see opportunities for lab voice, whether it's, you know, extending the lab use cases, whether it's other use cases that you see happening or, or in terms of the technology, where do you see things moving in, in, in the future in the next few years? Yeah. So, uh, you know, lab voice, uh, I could definitely see us becoming more, of AI and less assistant. Um, so right now we're very prompted by you, you know, hey, lab voice, let's do this. But I can, I can almost imagine us turning that around and saying, hey, Kane, you just walked into the lab. What can I help you with today? You know, and, and doing less of the concept of waiting for you to trigger that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting area. I, outside of, I, I, there's lots more, which I, <laughs> I can't publicly share right now. Um, but Outside of that, you know, if you start thinking of AR and VR in laboratories, you know, AR is a, a super exciting concept for labs. You see some companies starting it up a little bit more. I think the technology needs to evolve a bit more. Uh, there are some people playing with it, but, um, you know, you have HoloLens. It's just a big piece. You know, you, you can't imagine people are going to walk around with that all day long. Um, Google Glass is too small. <laughs> There's got to be a happy medium there, right? Uh, you see Apple's kind of coming out with their glasses. And um, there's another company I, I lost uh, right now that does Bo AR Bose, stuff. But, we've, mentioned, we've mentioned Bose a few times over the last few weeks. Yeah, Bose, I can definitely see it. But you, you can see all these technologies that are, were really science fiction back in the day, you know, and, and now are, people are thinking of real world applications especially, you know, in the touchless world, we're trying to figure out how do we do this ultra leap? You know, that's another one. Um, some great stuff. If you guys have not looked at them, they kind of have a touchless IR controller that you just kind of wave your hands around and they, they track your fingers individually. Um, they, they've actually gotten to a point where they have haptic feedback. So as you're in the air, you can feel like you're touching something. I don't know how they do it. It's amazing to me, <laughs> wow. but um, 
But you can you can see all of these things really helping reduce the contamination in laboratories. I mean, you have to think about chemicals. You're touching caustic chemicals on your gloves. You don't want to touch a keyboard or anything else while you're going through this, or even a lab knob. And someone else is not wearing a glove. They grab that knob, and now you have you know acid on your hands. Um, you can have some serious burns or or chemical contaminations, biological chem- contaminations along the way. Mm. The um, yeah, the the it, you know the interactive world is is where I would see a lab going, you know something that really connects the scientists to everything that's going around. They don't to reduce that thought, you know, as as they 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 just want to focus on what do I need to accomplish? How do I think about something new? I shouldn't have to think about all the processes around me or how do I use this equipment. The lab should help them accomplish what they're looking for, and I and I guess that's where I would like to see a lot of this go. Hmm. Nice. Well, I think it's a it's a fantastic. Uh, it sounds like a fantastic technology. Certainly found a real valid use case, you know, and, and a real worthwhile pursuit. Um, and I think that for those listening, there's definitely kind of parallels. I think I know we've talked a lot about scientists and labs and things like that, but ultimately, what we're talking about is people doing work and identifying the areas in people's day where it's either they're doing stuff, spending time doing stuff that they don't particularly want to do, like entering stuff into a system, which isn't part of the core kind of job role, if you like, or skill sets that they want to be focusing on, you know, the, the time it takes to get to and fro and, and the mistakes that you might need to make. If you, if you do make a mistake and you just go back into one place or back out the other place, you know, the, the scope for reducing the time it takes to do something and re- increasing the efficiency that, that, uh, that is involved in doing it as well, I think is, is absolutely huge. And so I can see this, this kind of technology being super useful across most organizations really and i think i love the way that you kind of approached it with creating your own device to get over the privacy hurdles and to create your own kind of security around it the voice authentication is absolutely wicked i mean it's a step ahead actually of where amazon and google are at which is not fully rolling out that full functionality you know i mean google have got the voice matching beta right now for purchases but it's like they're taking sort of slow steps and i think that you you you're kind of you know a few steps ahead on that respect to, to authenticate people with voice and i think that you know generally it, it sounds like a really really useful technology we've learned a hell of a lot um justin any any kind of final thoughts from you I muted myself for half a second. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I think I think you cover a lot of it. I think it's a very exciting technology and I'm excited to see where else it heads. Cool. Well, Dan, this has been absolutely fantastic. Where can people uh, find out more about Lab Voice, reach out to you if they have any kind of queries or if people want to, if, if, if we just so happen to have people who are either connected in the, the science and, and kind of lab laboratory world or are kind of interested in, in trying the technology and things like that, where can people go to do that? Yeah, so you can reach out to me, uh, simple email. It's dan at labvoice.com. Or you can go to our website, which is, again, labvoice.com. We do have some YouTube videos out there that can do some introductions, or you can just reach out to us and we'll do a personalized introduction, kind of run through the system with you. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely epic. Thank you, everyone uh, tuning in on LinkedIn and YouTube and those of you listening on the podcast. And don't forget, if you do want to meet organizations, agencies, companies who are looking for voice solutions, or if you have voice solutions that you want to offer companies, then check out Project Voice Catalyst. Uh, email ray at scorepublishing.us to find out a little bit more. And uh, I'll use Bradley Metrock's words, which is, You'll be glad that you did. <laughs> so, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Dustin, thank you as always. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening. Until next time.